Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Nehemiah chapter number four. Nehemiah chapter number four. We're going to kind of take a verse and take a fit this morning. Nehemiah chapter number four. Uh, Here in the book of Nehemiah, we're not going to get too far from the Bible, because in the book of Nehemiah, it's about rebuilding. The Israelites have been in captivity. You know, when you look back over the history of the Israelites, we see the history of a lot of a lot of Christians. Amen. We see Christians that they get into church, they get saved, they get into church, they begin to get into their Bible and they get into the world. And then something happens out in the world. Something kind of pulls you away, kind of pulls you off into something. That's never happened to me. I don't know about y'all. I'm sure it's happened to y'all. It's never happened to me that, that, that get slid off into things. But uh, the Israelites, when they came up out, when they came up into the promised land, and you look in the book of Judges there in the, in the first chapter, it only took about a generation for them to get away from following God. And you get into the book of Judges, man, and that's a, the whole theme of that, that book of Judges. Every man did that which was right in their eyes, own eyes. There was no king in Israel in those days. And every man was doing that which was right in their own eyes. And when they started developing their own stuff, they, you get to the point where a man builds a house out back and he puts his idols in there and he takes his mama's money and he buys those idols and puts them in there. And he says, well, I'm going to have a Levitical priest because the guy came by. He was a priest. He said, so he hired his own priest. He said, now God will do me favor. And he has a little priest in his little house, and he's got things set up, and man, he's got his own religion going back there. And then another group of people comes along, and they said, well, what are you doing with this, man? We'll pay you more. And that little priest, he said, well, you know, I get a provision of clothes, I get food, but they're going to pay me and do all that? Well, that looks like a bigger church to me. I'm going to head over here. But the point is, man tends to get away from God. He tends to step away if you don't stay close to the Lord. So you look at the Israelites down through history, you see them following God at times. Things would get bad. They begin to turn to God. They begin to turn their eyes toward him and begin to see him. And then they begin to drift away. And we see that over and over again in Judges where they'd get hurt or where they would uh, get away from God and God would let the... He'd basically let the devil plague them. And as the devil plagued them, then they began to turn back to the Lord. And God would rescue them. He would send a judge. He'd send Gideon. He'd send Samson. He'd send uh, Deborah and Barak. But then, then they moved into the land. They, they wanted a king. They wanted a king like all the other nations to judge them. And God gave them a king. And God, he gave them King Saul. I know this is a little bit of a history lesson, but just go with me on this. He gave them King Saul, the one that was... He looked like a king in their eyes. When they saw him, he was head and shoulders above everybody. But they were rejecting God as being their king. Samuel was all upset about it. God said, God said, don't, don't worry about them, Samuel. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. So he gave them a king that they thought they wanted. Saul wasn't a very good king. He was good looking, but he wasn't a very good king. He didn't do what God said. God said, I'll have you king as long as you do what I say. I'm making this real simple, putting it on the bottom shelf, amen? And then when Saul messed up, when he didn't do what God said, when he was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites, all of them, man and children, God said, I found me a king after my own, a man after my own heart. That king was David. 
And then you had King David, and King David ruled, and he was the greatest king Israel ever had. When you look over in 2 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, 2 Kings, 1 Kings, they always compare the king to David, but not like his father David, who was perfect. David wasn't perfect, but his heart was toward God. Let me tell you something this morning. You may not be perfect, but is your heart toward God? That's what God wants. God wants your heart. He doesn't want your perfection. He's going to give you that through Jesus Christ. He wants your heart. Because if he doesn't have your heart, then he doesn't have you. You know how the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is? It's where you lay your things up. If you're laying yourself up in prayer, are you turning toward the Lord? He can help you. So we look in the book of Kings and things like that. We get past Solomon and the kingdom splits up into two kingdoms and and one kingdom never really follows God, the northern kingdom, Israel. They go into captivity. God kept Israel as his people. But after a certain number of years, he was finished. He said, no more. He told through the prophets, he told through Isaiah, he told through Ezekiel and Jeremiah. He, he said, there's going to come a time when you're going into captivity. And he warned them, and he warned them, and then they went into captivity. And that's where we get to Nehemiah. They were 70 years in captivity. <clears throat> and then after a time when the people were ready, when they began to turn to the Lord, then God allowed Ezra, the, the king gave Ezra permission to come back, and they began to rebuild the spiritual. Ezra began to reopen the law to him, open his word to him. And then we get to hear in Nehemiah, and there's a physical rebuilding that takes place. Nehemiah, over in chapter 1, hears about the state. Y'all know this one. It's one of my favorite illustrations. He hears about the state of Israel, and he, he asks him about Jerusalem. He said, how is it over in Jerusalem? He asked his friend. His friend told him the walls are broken down, and the gates are burned with fire. You look over in chapter number 1, and it broke Nehemiah's heart. Because Jerusalem was the seat where, of where God was. Jerusalem represented the, the kingdom that Israel had. But Israel was in captivity. It had been taken away. See, they, they, had a, they had a relationship with God when they were in Jerusalem. Now they had to deal with the world. Do y'all follow me on that? Am I making myself clear? How many other statements can I make here? One thing about it, though, Israel had a promise. God told them 70 years. You know, and it worked out being about 70 years, and God fulfilled that promise. Let me tell you something. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you got a promise from God. You got a few promises. One thing is you're sealed until the day of salvation by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, quench not the Spirit of God by which you are sealed until the day of redemption. Now think about that. Sealed until the day of redemption. We're over in Revelation, right? We're about to crack open the seals, but only one was worthy to break open one of the seal, oh, break open the seals. That seal was the Lamb of God. That, uh, that one person was the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. He was the only one worthy to break the seals. There's another promise that you have as a Christian. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's read a little bit here in Nehemiah chapter 4. 
And then we're going to pray. He said, but it came to pass that when Sambalat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? And this is a verse we're going to jump off of. And said, what will, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? And that's the focus of my sermon this morning. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish? Because let me tell you something. There's a lot of things that this can be applied to. And one of the main things it can be applied to is a Christian's life or a person's life. Their life can be broken down stones, just piled among a bunch of rubbish. We get off in the world and we get piled up with all this garbage, with all this rubbish around us. I tell you, in my own life, I'm learning to declutter. I've been doing it for years, hadn't succeeded. But I'm trying to declutter. I'm trying to take all these distractions away. The worst thing that ever happened was for a phone to become a computer. Amen. I tried. I, I don't even know that this should be part of the sermon. But I tell you what, it's it exemplifies what we can get caught up in in this world. I tried to solve problems with apps. I got on there and I said, well, this app will solve this. This app will solve this. And I tried it for a little bit. And then the developer would change something, right? doesn't work anymore. Or you have to learn their way of thinking in order to make it work. And I'm like, what used to happen before? Things were simpler before. And then, I, and then I realized, well, you can't get much simpler than a piece of paper, amen? <laughs> Charlie had been trying to tell me for years every time he shoved the notebook at me. But you know, in our own lives, we just add stuff to it. We add stuff to it. We add stuff to it. And it becomes more and more cluttered to where we can't see. And here in Nehemiah, I want, I want to look at a couple of things today in, in reviving stones, reviving the stones. And I said there are several applications. You have the, the person, their walls are broken down. Their gates are burned with fire. They're, they're piled up in rubbish, in trash. And you have, you can have a church that's, that the walls are broken down, burned with trash. You can have a world, however you want. There's application for this. And I want you to notice a few things out of this verse. Number one, Nehemiah is trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's a bad situation. When he heard about the gates burned with fire and he heard about the broken down rubble, first thing that Nehemiah did was he got on his knees and he prayed. Let me tell you something. If you're going to rebuild your walls, whatever they are, if you're going to rebuild the church, if you're going to rebuild your relationship with the Lord, there's some things that you're going to need to do. And they're in this verse. Number one, Sam Blatt asked a question. He said, what do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? You know what the answer is? Yes. You need to fortify yourself if you're going to recover, if you're going to rebuild the walls. The next thing he asks them, will they sacrifice? You know what the answer to that is? Yes. There needs to be sacrifice in your life if you're going to rebuild the walls. And then the third thing he asks, will they make an end in a day? You know what the answer to that is? 
No. And Charlie knew it. The answer to that is no. It's not going to happen in a day. You're not going to rebuild your life in a day. And if you think you do, the next day it's going to be torn down again. So I just want, I, I just want to get a little practical this morning if it's all right. Number one, they fortify themselves. Look over in chapter number one. Because fortifying yourself might not be what you think it is. In chapter number one, verse number four, and Nehemiah says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know, the first thing that Nehemiah did, he didn't load up a truck and head over to Jerusalem and start rebuilding. First thing he did (laughs) when the situation hit him, he turned to the Lord. So many people don't do that. So many people get caught up in things and they they don't turn to the Lord when they hit that bottom, when they hit that rock bottom. Oh, I said it last week. It was so funny. I'll say it again. You know, people say, well, I don't I won't come to church. There's too many hypocrites there. There's there's always room for one more. And I tell you what, there's room for a hypocrite being on his knee. Just get before the Lord and pray. Pray your heart out to the Lord. And Nehemiah does this here. Look what Nehemiah does in his prayer. And he said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. You need to know who the Lord is. Verse number six, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night and for the the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house of sin. The first thing you got to realize, you got to be willing to confess. If you have too much pride in your heart and you're not willing to confess where you've sinned, and we've talked about the beauty of being in church, right? The beauty of getting close to the Lord and the beauty of confessing your sins. Be honest with God. He already knows. You say, well, God already knows. Well, he wants you to acknowledge. And Nehemiah is out here and he's confessing the sins, not only of him, but of Israel. He says, we have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept thy commandment, kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgment, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. God's given us promises. And you need to understand that those are for you. And you need to understand that God keeps his word. But you need to know what those promises are. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He will, he will keep us until the end. He said, now these are thy, serv- uh, thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee. So you need to fortify yourself in prayer. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. If you think you're going to straighten yourself up, if you think you're going to rebuild a wall without going to the Lord, 
You're not. He's the one that gives you strength. I know somebody right now that's been turning to the Lord every day and there's been a change that has taken place. And it's a wondrous change. He said, well, they revived these stones. Look what happens in chapter number two. We see what the king does. Nehemiah goes before the king and the king sees his countenance sad and he says, why are you sad? Because he hadn't been sad before in front of the king. Now, this is a tough spot for Nehemiah. He could have his head lopped off. The king asked him, what's wrong? He says a quick prayer to God. He says, uh, and it came to pass in the month Nisan, 20th year, Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick, that is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lies waste? And the gates thereof are consumed with fire. And then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? When you petition the Lord, you need to understand some things about what God does for you when you pray. Number one, when you pray, you get permission from the Lord. You know what I mean by that? It's another sermon I'm working on about opportunity knocking. An opportunity doesn't always mean an open door for you. It doesn't always mean that that's where you're supposed to go. It doesn't always mean that that's the best thing for you. It may be something to try and to test you. When you pray to God and and you're asking for help in something, you're asking for his guidance in something, you're getting your permission from him. Just like Nehemiah, he, he got permission from the king to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild. God gives you permission Y'all follow me on that? God gives you permission to go and to do what you need in this area. I'm trying to avoid being specific because I don't have any specifics. I just know that it's the way God works. In my own life, I know that there's been opportunities that have come up. I know that there's been doors that I walked through. Sometimes I think back. (laughs) One one opportunity I had was to buy a house. (laughs) It didn't work out for us. I think back, I was like, man, if we had just stayed in that trailer park paying, paying that rent, that trailer would have been paid off. wouldn't have mattered losing that job. We wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have lost everything. But we couldn't keep up with what we had without that job. I probably could have got a job at a gas station and, and still been able to keep the house. Things worked out in a roundabout way. It's been a rough road. Been a lot of miles under it. You can tell. I've been letting the, I've been letting the hair color die, go. It's coming back. The, the hair color's coming back. We, we can edit that. Make Matt work back there. But uh, permission. The other thing that the king does is he asks him how long his journey going to be. And uh, verse number seven, he tells him. And in verse number eight, uh, verse number seven, he said, moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And he got, he got provision from the king. Let me tell you something. When you pray to God, you're going to need a provision of grace to get through things. 
Paul talked about that thorn in the flesh, that, that, that thorn that, that, that pestered him. We don't know what it was. But in our own lives, there's a besetting sin. There's a thorn. There's something that holds us back. There's something that, that keeps us aware of who God is and keeps us from being overly proud, that thorn in the flesh. And Paul said, I prayed for it three times to be taken away from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. He said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. You just need to realize who the provision comes from. And it's a daily provision. It's a lesson that we got in the wilderness when we saw the Israelites and God sent them down the manna from heaven. And he sent it down to them each day, day by day. It's a daily provision. Some of y'all say, well, I know that. Well, you need to be reminded about it. Because some of you want to stock it up like the rich man in the barn, amen? Say, oh, I got enough grace to get me through this. I don't need to turn to the Lord on this. No, it's a daily provision. You got to go out to 10 every day, look up to the Lord, and ask for that manna from heaven. Amen? It's a daily provision, but he provides. And the other thing, verse number 8, let's see. The king had sent men with him. But anyway, we have God's protection. When we're facing those troubles, we have God's protection. But, you know, God's protection doesn't mean avoidance. It doesn't mean that we get to avoid everything. Oh, when we look in the Bible and we look at the apostles and we look at God's people, we look at Elijah, we look at Elisha, we look at any of God's people, the problems weren't avoided. But God was there to get you through. Do you think about those walls when they were coming down? I I just want to paint a picture for you for a minute. Nehemiah goes through there and he sees those walls burnt down. He goes through in the middle of the night and he's seeing what was once a great city. He's probably never seen it in his life all put together, but he goes there and he thinks of King David and he thinks of the army marching through the gate. He thinks of God's presence in the temple. (coughs) He thinks of Israel being a nation respected. He thinks of King Solomon and he thinks of Sheba the queen of Sheba coming to him through those gates with all of those with all those gifts that she had for King Solomon thinks about David returning after being rejected and after after leaving running away from Absalom coming back into the kingdom he thinks about that ark being carried up into Jerusalem he thinks about all those things and there was a time after all of that we think about salvation, right? We look back at that time, that salvation. Remember, God was in your heart. You knew you weren't going to hell. You knew in your heart that you had a God in heaven that was there for every need, that you were never alone again. That loneliness that you had before, God is there with you in that. But there was a time at the end of that, before Nehemiah's time, there was a time when the people were in Jerusalem And the enemy was outside the gate. And they were huddled up inside. And those walls were being beat against. And those gates were being set on fire. Those beautiful gates. And that wood was just set fire. And that fire begins to consume the gates. And and begins to let the enemy come in. And they begin tearing down those walls. Stone by stone. And they see those beautiful walls come down. And I tell you in your own life. 
You can get in those positions, you can get in that position and where those gates are beginning to fall down, it seems like the walls are crumbling, everything's going wrong, this person's sick, that person's sick, whatever it is, whatever it is in your life and your relationship with God, you feel like your Jerusalem is beginning to crumble. And when you try to rebuild, it's hard to put back together, isn't it? It's hard to put back together. But you know, the whole time that the enemy's outside the wall and beating against the gates, tearing down stone by stone, the whole time that they were in there, God hadn't left them or forsaken them. God had turned them over to the enemy for them to learn. The judgment had come. So they begin to rebuild. And in Nehemiah 4.2 it says, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Let me tell you something. When you begin to rebuild, the enemy's not happy with it. When you begin to get your relationship close to God, he's going to start throwing things at you. You say, and, and the minute you say, well, I've got this, and you say, man, I've got a hold of this. I, I'm close to the Lord. I'm in my Bible. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I just feel God's presence. The enemy can't get me now. And he'll come from a direction that you don't know. You're going to have to sacrifice yourself a little bit. He said, will they sacrifice there's some things you're going to have to put aside. I don't know what it is, but God's shown you in the heart already. There's some things to sacrifice to put aside, to be careful of. Uh, you know, the idol in my heart at that one time, I don't know if it was that house or not. I, I think things would have worked out differently. But uh, there have been times when I've gone in this direction and thought that was right. And it turned out not to be. The only way to know is to, be staying, is to stay close to the Lord. Well, will they sacrifice? Yes. Sacrifice praises to God. Set aside those things that are getting in the way of God. And then the other thing is, you're going to have to fortify yourself with prayer. Understand you got permission, provision, and protection from the Lord. Sacrifice. And then commitment. He said, will they make an end in a day? He don't rebuild anything in a day. Nehemiah was out there on the wall. And look what it says in verse number six. He says, so built we the wall and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof for the people had a mind to work. You're going to have to commit yourself toward being close to the Lord. You know, there's... There's things that we do. There's places that we have to go. But your commitment to the Lord needs to remain. You have to make a determination. Romans chapter 6 says, Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. You have to make a commitment. You have to, you have to say, Today, I'm going to read my Bible. And uh, just to remind y'all, because I keep forgetting to remind you, you know, about reading through your Bible this year, 
and getting a pen. That's reading through the Bible. That's not reading at the Bible. Well, we're getting together. We're going to have you a pen. I don't care how many times I play the video in Sunday school. We're going to have a pen. Huh? <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to make a commitment. It's going to take time. Nehemiah and the people, when they began to build, they had to stay with it. So many times, Sambalat and Tobiah, they tried to distract them. The enemy tried to distract them. They wrote letters. They were writing letters back and forth to all the leaders. And, and they, they were trying to say, they were trying to spread rumors about them. They were trying to spread gossip. They were trying to get the king against them. They were doing everything to try to stop them. You know what Nehemiah said? I can't leave the work. I've got to stay here. You've got to make a commitment that you're going to spend time with the Lord. You've got to make a commitment that you're, all right, I'll say it. You've got to make a commitment that you're going to be in here in church. I know we got summer coming. I know we got all that. But you've got to make that commitment. Take time. Make an end in a day? No. It's not going to end in a day. It took 52, but they finished the wall in record time. They finished it in 52 days. The other thing is, it's going to take some courage. The wall is built brick by brick and stone by stone. All the while, the enemy's mocking you, lying about you, and trying to discourage you. And all the while, they're on the wall. You'll find out if you read further on, you'll find out that when they thought the enemy was going to attack and come from inside or come from somewhere, they were out there building on the wall and they had a sword at their side. So they had a trowel in one hand, they had a sword in the other. They were still building while they were waiting for the attack. And then the other thing is, you're going to have to pray to each other, pray for each other. There's another part of Nehemiah where they, they were too spread out. They were spread too thin. They couldn't be there. They couldn't be everywhere to defend the wall. They sounded a trumpet so that the others knew. You know what the trumpet is? It's our prayer list. You ever, you ever had somebody mention in the prayer and then something goes bad? It's like, well, you should have been praying. You realize that you hadn't been praying for that person. Now, I know that doesn't happen to any of y'all. But it doesn't happen to me either. I just know about it. But the Lord convicts you in your heart. Said, where were you? And it's not that you were there to save them, but you know who would be. Amen. It's just a simple little sermon this morning. Just a little refresher, just a little review. Those walls broken down, being rebuilt. So many people have tried time and time again to rebuild the walls, but they let Sambalat and Tobiah get them off of the wall. They don't keep the sword by their side. They don't keep, they don't keep going. They don't commit. They hadn't fortified themselves before they started to the God who provides the protection, the provision. They haven't committed to it. And they haven't sacrificed that thing that the Lord told them to let go of. All right, as we stand.